When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Lord Jesus, in those words that you spoke to your disciples on that night, you reminded them that you would not leave us as orphans, but that you would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and you reminded them that you give not as the world gives, because you give to us without remainder all that you have and all that you are in your spirit. On this Pentecost Sunday, Lord, we pray that we could be refreshed and renewed. Renewed in the life that we have in the spirit as adopted sons and daughters, but renewed in our common life as a community that is constituted by the power of your spirit. And I ask, Lord, that as we spend time in your word, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It's Pentecost. It's exciting. Got the red out. That's how you know it's serious when you get the red out. Last week was Ascension. Um, I talked about last week that it's easy to treat Ascension as a liturgical speed bump between Easter and Pentecost and that Pentecost is somehow maybe the main event. I want to encourage you as we meditate on Pentecost today to see Pentecost as the capstone of the 50 days of Easter. Easter season is the 50 days from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. It's the culmination of the Easter season. And we see these things as discrete events, the resurrection, the ascension, and Pentecost. And that's right, but they're also sort of in sequence with each other. They're all of a piece with each other. The ascension makes Pentecost possible. We didn't read these verses from Acts chapter 2, but after the great and rushing wind, after the tongues of fire divide, after people hear the gospel, the mighty words of God declared in their own language, Peter stands up and he delivers a sermon. And he says this in the context of what is happening? What is this day about? And he says, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Peter draws together resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost as a sequence. And that, the, that Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, constitutes the community of God. And if you were here last week, I hope you hear the echo of the psalm from last week. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is part of the apostles' greatest hits of sermons. It was one of their favorite places to go to in the Old Testament to understand and to proclaim what it is that God has done in Jesus Christ. Resurrection, ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit. We're concentrating today on the pouring out of the Spirit. Now, if you've been around St. Bart's for a while, um, you've heard this before, or maybe if you're new, it's worth saying that we think of ourselves as a three-streams church. What are the three streams? The three streams are Scripture, Sacrament, and Spirit. Scripture being the Word of God, the great authority in our life um, that regulates Christian life and worship, that God speaks through to us. This is the section of the service where we concentrate on the Scriptures. Sacrament, the great sacrament of the Lord's table, the Eucharist, but also baptism. We're a community of sacrament because those are the means by which God constitutes his community through baptism and sustains his community through Eucharist. And then the third stream is spirit. But here's the dirty little secret about three streams. They only work because of the spirit. The scripture is the scripture because it's breathed out by God. It's spirated. It's of the spirit. It's authority as it is written, comes from the Spirit, and it's living an active character, the way that it comes into our lives in a moment, is the work of the Holy Spirit. So both in its creation, both in the guiding of the church to gather the text together in what we call the New Testament canon and the Old Testament scriptures, the Spirit presided over all of that. And even now, if your hearts are opened to what I'm saying through the scriptures, it doesn't have anything to do with me, but has everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Same with the sacraments. If the Spirit is not in them, they're just little things to do. They're just little, little rituals to do. But if the Spirit breathes his life in them, if he's present in them as he promises to be, then they become what we say they are, visible signs of invisible realities, means of grace by which God comes to us, encounters us. And I mention this in the context of three streams because when we start to talk about the Spirit, it's hard to know where to stop because the Spirit touches everything. The Spirit is the one who gives us gifts. The Spirit is the one who cultivates the fruit of the Spirit within us. The Spirit is the one who abides in us, who breathes his life into the sacraments. The Spirit is the one who illuminates our understanding of Scripture. The Spirit is the one who testifies to us that we are God's children. The Spirit is the one who comforts us, convicts us, leads us, sanctifies us. And that's just a drip in the bucket. Because the life of the Christian church is the life in the Spirit. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the power of the Spirit. So when you start talking about the Spirit, it's hard to know where to stop. It touches everything. 
I want to talk today about two dimensions of the work of the Spirit that I think are especially relevant to us now as St. Bart's and also something, speaking something to the historical moment that we live in. So I want to talk about the way in which the Holy Spirit is the one who constitutes the community that we call the church. And I want to talk about how the Spirit is the Spirit of hope. Community and hope. I believe that these two dimensions of the work of the Spirit move in a powerful way against the excesses and darknesses, darkness of our age. So I want to talk about the miracle of community, that the Spirit constitutes us as a community. The other way to say this is that the Spirit is the one who brings unity in diversity. I heard someone talk about this recently, um, and I thought it was such a good way to think about it. You can have unity that is only conformity. Everybody looks the same. Everybody does the same thing. Everybody knows how to walk, how to talk, how not to talk, how not to walk. Everybody knows because there's just one way to be. The problem with that kind of unity is when you step out of line, what happens? <clears throat> you get crushed, you get exiled, you're gone. That's not the kind of unity that the Holy Spirit brings. He brings unity and diversity. So on one hand, we have maybe a unity that's just pure conformity where everybody looks the same. But on the other hand, you can just get into diversity that's just chaos because there's nothing that holds it together. But the Holy Spirit is able to create unity out of diversity, which is powerfully illustrated by hearing these different languages. Different languages, one gospel. Different cultures, different places on the map, different contexts, different experiences. Language is such a powerful, uh, it gathers together all those different parts of it. Language is woven together with culture and how you look at the world to hear the mighty deeds of God in your own language. That speaks to one message, unity, but diversity, many tongues. Michael Ramsey was the 100th Archbishop of Canterbury. He was the super Anglican of the mid-20th century. <laughs> um, he's a hero of mine. I, like, I admire him quite a bit. He wrote a book called the, Go the Gospel in the Catholic Church, and he talks about life in the Spirit. And he says that when we talk about the Spirit, there's a temptation to cling to the immediacy of our own experience, and that in the midst of the body of Christ, to be ensnared into an individualism and self-satisfaction that belie the truth about the one body. The picture of the one body is a picture of unity and diversity. One body, many gifts. Many members that come together to make one body. That is the miracle of community the fellowship of believers. Ramsey goes on to say, the fellowship is something deeper than ecstasy and emotion. It penetrates into the whole lives of the disciples. So that the word koinonia describes a oneness in thought, in mind, and in the sharing of goods, of sufferings, and of life that is not their own, but another's. This is the miracle of community, or koinonia. Oneness in thought and mind, the sharing of goods, sharing of sufferings, and the sharing of a life that is not 
our own, but another's. That's the kind of community that we need. That's the kind of community that God calls us to be as his people. And the vivid illustration of language from our passage today demonstrates to us that there is no chance of community without the possibility of communication. If you can't communicate, you can't have community. I hope you see that those words are related. Communication, community. Calm means with. Unity with. Communication. Discourse or, yeah, discourse with. Acts, too. What did the, nation, what did the people say? We hear them speaking in our own languages about the great, deeds that God has done. Language and culture are fundamental barriers for communication and for community. And the miracle of Pentecost is that the Spirit undoes it in a moment. What was wrought at Babel, when the languages of the earth were split into many languages, is undone in a moment when the Spirit gives utterance to the apostles for them to speak in the language of the people. No communication, no community. But the Spirit empowers us to communicate, to translate, to speak the gospel into new idioms and into new languages and into new cultures. And here's the hope here, and this is, I really wanna spend some time on this because I think it's so important for where we are right now If language is not a barrier for the gospel, then neither is culture. Because language and culture are so tied together. Even the culture we find ourselves in. That's no ultimate barrier for the gospel. The language that you grew up speaking is your mother tongue. That's what we call it. It's intimate, it's near. It's as near as near can be. What is it to hear an unfamiliar thing in a familiar way? To hear the good news of God in a language that you understand. I'm hammering on this because I think we live in a time when it feels as if those that we disagree with, it's not just that we disagree with them, it feels like we're speaking a different language. I've found that experience quite frequently that it's not just that disagreement is present, that we would expect that, but that we have completely different languages, cultures, thought patterns. The Spirit can overcome those things. The Spirit working in and through us can teach us to speak the language of those we disagree with for the sake of the good news, for the sake of declaring the mighty works of God, for the sake of mission. Are we willing to learn the language of those we disagree with for the sake of the good news? Are we willing to humble ourselves to learn the languages of others? Are we willing to allow the Spirit to work within us and through us? It is a humbling position to be in when you're learning a new language. You are suddenly a child again. In fact, when you speak, start to speak in another language, The children who are native to that language, they can talk circles around you. (laughs) You're not even a child when you start. It's a very humbling experience. To learn a new language, you have to move into, you have to immerse yourself in a world 
And my question for us on the basis of the miracle of community is will we allow the Spirit to translate our lives into the language and the idioms of the people around us? Let's just say, for sake of argument, that it's true that there are different cultural languages within our context right now. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to allow the Spirit to translate, translate our lives into those languages? Are we willing to tell in the tongues of the people we encounter the mighty works of God? That's the missionary impulse. Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem, tell the Spirit comes, and then when the Spirit comes, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be my witnesses, not just here, but everywhere. Jerusalem is the epicenter, and it's going to move out from there, and it's going to go everywhere. Some of the greatest missionary work that has been done has been around language. If you know about Wycliffe translators, other organizations like that that move into cultures and learn the language of the people so that they can translate the Bible into the language of that people. That is Holy Spirit work. That's what I'm talking about. There's a fundamental mindset shift that I have to undergo and I think we all have to undergo is that we're in a missionary context. We're all missionaries now. Especially if we feel like we're moving into a world that doesn't understand us and doesn't speak our language. And from the missionary posture, it's on us to learn how to speak. It's on us. But it's not just on us because <laughs> the Spirit delights to do this work. This is the spirit, this is the work that the spirit wants to do, to continually build and constitute a people that is unity in diversity. One body, many members. In our psalm today, we have this celebration of creation. The diversity of creation of all the different kinds of animals, of all the different kinds of flora and fauna from the smallest fish of the ocean to the great Leviathan, there's a celebration of that diversity that comes from one creator. It's the same with the people of God, the same with the church. And I'm calling this a miracle because we can't do it on our own. It's about the easiest thing in the world to hang out with people who understand you and get you and like the same things as you, and that's just fun. I like doing that. We all like doing that. But that's not the kind of community that the Spirit wants to build, that the Spirit wants to constitute. The great vision at the end of Revelation is what? Every tribe and tongue and nation, worshiping the slain and risen Lamb. That's the missionary impulse. That's not just for Wycliffe Bible translators and other missionaries, that's for us. Especially if we live in a time when, where, where we feel like we are is maybe out of step with where the culture is. There's an opportunity then to learn that language, to move towards the culture, to speak their language. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's the miracle of community. I wanna talk now about the miracle of hope. There's lots of reasons 
maybe good reasons, to feel hopeless. But the people of the Spirit are people of hope. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, what are they witnessing to? Just before Acts 2, they had to decide if they were going to add a 12th apostle. You remember this story? And they cast lots and they figure out. But the criteria to be an apostle was that you had to witness the resurrection. Resurrection hope is at the heart of what it is to be a witness for Jesus. The hope of the resurrection is the hope that pervades everything. The hope that what God did for Jesus, raising him up into new life, is what he will do for us. And more than that, what he will do for creation itself. That he will resurrect his creation and that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. So if you read a lot of news and you watch a lot of the discourse and all of that, it's easy to get caught up in this idea that we're just in this cycle, maybe of decadence, or that the future is canceled. I heard somebody say that recently. The future's canceled. Well, it can feel like that. But as long as there's time, and as long as there's a people of God, the future is not canceled. It's not. Because we have to hold out hope. Hope that there is new life. Not just at the end of all things, but new life that breaks in even now. That we get hints and experiences and tastes of the fullness of that new creation life. And if that's a new way for, of thinking for you, I'd encourage you to read uh, N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. It is a powerful testimony to this reality that resurrection hope is Christian hope. And it's not just hope for the end. It's hope that the end can break in even now. And that the spirit is the spirit who breaks in even now. And that when community is constituted, when unity comes out of diversity, that's the end breaking in. When the spirit heals, when the spirit speaks encouragement, when the spirit moves in our midst, that's the end breaking in even now. To be a community of the spirit is to be a community of hope. So we can, we can sit here and say we've given up on the future, <laughs> but God hasn't. As long as there's time, time is part of God's creation. It is something that he uses to glorify himself. And we experience it maybe as a delay or how long, O oh Lord? But in his infinite wisdom, God is still telling the story. The end hasn't come in its fullness yet, but it breaks in and fits and starts. And it breaks in through us as God's people. That's one of the messages of Pentecost. One of the realities of living in the ongoing age of the Spirit is that God is holding out hope for us. And he's holding out hope for the future. So I want to gather these thoughts together, this miracle of community and the miracle of hope, and talk about us as a community of hope that bears witness to all sorts of different things, but one of the things that we bear witness to 
<clears throat> is a different relationship to power. <clears throat> this is a discussion we were having as a staff this week. We talk about the power of the Spirit, and that's right. The beginning of this passage, Acts 2. There's the wind, there's the fire. Those are pictures and experiences of the power of God. These are very important. They are a reminder of God's powerful presence. They would have reminded the apostles in that room of Mount Sinai when God descended on the mountain and gave the law. There was wind and there was fire. The fire and the wind remind us that the power of the Spirit is not for us to control, which is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. The wind blows where it will. You are not in control. That's a good reminder. It's a reminder that there is real power. But in the same passage for us today, and you may not have heard it because there was a lot going on, so I'll just remind you, there is this image of the Spirit, that the Spirit rested on each one of them. Jesus tells his disciples in our gospel passage that the Spirit was with you, but now he will be in you. You have these two images of the Spirit, wind and fire, and then the abiding, peaceful, comforting, guiding, leading presence of the Spirit. That's why Dave has been talking about this wreath. These moments in our lives where maybe it's quiet, but we know that God is with us and God is at work. And when we have those moments, we can symbolize our remembrance of those moments by tying a piece of cloth on that wreath. It's a wreath of testimony to help us cultivate attention to those smaller movements of God in our life. The spirit that rests upon us. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep at creation, he hovers over us and in us, and that creative, recreating, resurrecting power of the Spirit is at work. Remember when Elijah went to the mountain, and there was spirit, there was a wind, and there was fire. It was a Sinai callback too. But where was the voice of God? It was the still, small voice. It's not one or the other, it's both. But sometimes we can think it's only the spirit if it's big and loud and rushing wind and fire. But it's also the spirit when we can have communication with someone that we otherwise couldn't have. When God can translate our life into a message of hope for someone in our lives, that's the work of the spirit. That's what I'm talking about. And that's a different kind of power because that power moves in us to the extent that we are open, to the extent that we say, come Holy Spirit. I'm going into this situation. I'm going into work. I'm going into this hard meeting. Be with me. Help me pay attention. What are you doing? How are you at work? Come, Holy Spirit. That's a different relationship to power than I'm going to show up and show you how great I am. It's I'm going to come into your midst with humility because I have the confidence 
that the Spirit is at work within me and that he can bear witness through me. Paul is the great apostle of hope. And in Romans, he tells us to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. That's a nice one to take with us in these seemingly dark days. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. At the end of Romans, in Romans 15, Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. There it is. We can only abound in hope to the extent that the Spirit is at work within us. So what I want to do is I want to pray a communal prayer together as a way to seal this time and as a way to experience something of unity and diversity. I had this prayer printed up on these cards. You may have seen them when you're walking in. If you didn't, uh, take one with you. This comes from the Common Worship um, prayer book, which is what they use in the Church of England. It's a come Holy Spirit prayer. Might be good to keep in your car, might be good to tape to your mirror, put above your kitchen sink when you're washing your hands, say this prayer. I'm just inviting us as a community to start praying together for these kinds of things. I truly believe that if we can be this kind of community who experiences true unity and diversity, who bears witness to and abides in hope, and who has a different relationship to power, whew, man, that sounds awesome. I want to be part of that. I want God to make us a people like that. Because that's what I know I need, and I know it's what you need, and I know it's what people I talk to need, what they're just starving for, and they don't even know what they're starving for, is true connection. Not the kind of unity where they have to conform, not the chaos of utter diversity where there's no unifying center, but the unity and diversity around the good news and hope of Jesus Christ. And honestly, I think this stuff around power is huge. We see so many abuses of power, of people just flexing all the time, who want you to know how great they are. And you know what happens when people do that? You get caught up in their wake and people get hurt. That's not, that's not how we're supposed to relate to power. The Spirit is a spirit of power who abides in us to bear his fruit in us so that we can bear witness to this kind of community. So I'm gonna ask you to stand and you have some lines. We'll pray this together and I want you to take this prayer with you. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your people. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Renew the face of your creation, Lord, pouring on us the gifts of your Spirit. For the creation waits with eager longing for the glorious liberty of the children of God. Come Holy Spirit, 
fill the hearts of your people and kindle in us the fire of your love. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Lord, we ask that you would continually constitute us as a community of hope, that you would constitute us as a community that bears witness to a different kind of power. We pray that you would constitute us as a community who moves towards the world in love, who is willing and humble enough to learn the language and idioms of those around us so that we can declare the good news. We can't do this on our own. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with your life. Rush upon us, dwell within us, abide in us. We ask for the glory of the name of Christ. Amen.